Hey, New Life Church, Bronson Duke here. Thanks for listening in. The heart of our church is that you would know Jesus, that you would walk with Jesus, and you would learn how to live like he lived. We hope that this message equips you and empowers you on your journey walking with Jesus. Well, hey, you guys, during this portion of the service, we're going to stand yet again, if you're able, for the reading of God's word. So if you're able, please stand with us. We're going to start in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, in verse 9, then I'll do a little flipping. We'll keep reading. Glad to, glad to see you guys. Let's read together. Verse 9. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly. And give according to what you have, not what you don't. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. As the scripture says, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Continuing in chapter 9, starting in verse 6. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give, and don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need, and you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scripture says, They share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. Last few verses right here. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. This is his word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. God, the way that you lead us into life and to peace. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. How is everyone? Y'all doing well? Bit of a rough day yesterday. I'm sorry. One touchdown. That's all they needed, right, Fitz? Oh. Okay. Church attendance is better when the Razorbacks aren't doing well, so I'm good with it. (laughs) Should we go to Fayetteville? Ah. (laughs) Uh, Okay. So what what I want to kind of build on this morning, if if you're new to our community, 
we've been in a vision series, and we've been talking about our church community here in downtown Little Rock, but also we've been uh, talking about the vision of our church through the network of churches that we have around the state. And so we got to hear from our pastor, Pastor Rick. We got to talk about the vision for our house here. We got to talk about the vision for our homes, developing habits for our homes. And last week we had what? Does anybody remember? No. Well, yeah, but on the weekend. Y'all remember what we did? Oh, this is a test. Next gen. That's right. The staff knew. That's good. We're killing it. Okay. Uh, This week, here's the thesis that I'm going to kind of build off this week and what we're going to talk about is this, is that I believe that God has called us, everybody say called, and equipped us to transform our world through a life of generosity. And, you know, anytime you talk about vision, it's impossible to not talk about money because here's the reality. In order to accomplish vision, you have to have what? Resources, right? Like, could God just like through his Holy Spirit power give us more kids space and, you know, keep the lights on and do all those things? It's like, well, he could, (laughs) you know, he could do that. Uh, He's capable, but this doesn't fit the reality of how God has chosen to work in our world, right? Here's what's crazy. God chooses to use us. Isn't that nuts? God chooses to use us in what he's doing. Yo, listen, I heard a Bible teacher say this one time, and I've been thinking about this for about 10 years. So as far as I can find, this is true. There is no instance in the scripture outside of the original creation where God works without including people. Isn't that crazy? Think about it. Like God parted the Red Sea, but Moses had to raise his hands, right? You know, I've only taught on finances three times since we've opened. This is number four. We've been open for five years, and this is the fourth time I've taught on it. Why? Why have I hit on it so little? Because money has just gotten so messy within the church world, within our culture. Um, and, And I don't want you to think that God just wants your money. I want you to understand that that's a lie of the enemy, that God first wants the heart. Amen? So listen, if you're not a Jesus follower or you're searching or whatever, I just want you to relax. The first thing God wants is you. But here's the truth, and the Bible says this, what we do with our money shows where our heart is and ultimately where our security is. And here's what Jesus wants to do. Here's what he wants to show us is that true security True peace and true life is found in him. It's a mind-bending truth if you think about it. Think about it. True security, true peace, and true life is found in the person of Jesus. How does that work? Here's how I've learned it. John Mark Comer lays this out so perfectly, what a life with Jesus can look like. He says that our goal is to be with Jesus through our quiet times, through our scripture reading, through our worship, through our gathering, through our fellowship, through that, to become like Jesus, everyone say like Jesus, and then to do what Jesus would do if he were you. Y'all, this is a rewarding journey with Jesus, but it's not easy. Can I get an amen, somebody? Why? Because it requires me to reassess things. It requires me to reassess heart motivations, like why do I do the things I do? I was talking to a dude in the bathroom, which is like the cardinal sin of being dudes. Um, and we, we were talking about work, 
and how as you walk with Jesus, you have to reassess uh, confidence and reframe it from confidence in yourself to confidence in God, right? It takes time. It's work. It's painful. We have to reassess how we spend our time. How do we direct our focus? And this is a tough one. We have to reassess how we spend our money. Woof. <laughs> Let's be real. This is the thing, if most of us are honest, that we least want to talk about. Can I get an amen? Don't get too, too enthusiastic on me, all right? But it's actually what Jesus talked about the most, which is, which is wild. 11 of 39 of the parables are about money. More than heaven or hell, more than anything else, it's about money. So why is it such a big deal? I want you to lean in on this. The topic of money is actually about security. It's not about getting your money. It's about recognizing where you find your security. The life with Jesus is a war for what really has your heart and where you really find security. The gospel of Jesus is that security is available to you now through his life, through his death, through his resurrection, and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But the false gospel of our world says that security is available when you have just a little bit more. Proverbs 27.20 says this. It says, just as death and destruction are never satisfied, so human desire is never satisfied. But here's a crazy promise of God, that you can find satisfaction and peace and security in him. And if you do, it will transform the way you live, the way you experience life. It will actually transform our world. But here's the reality. We cannot be transformed without transforming the way that we spend. Has anybody ever tried to do yard work with toddlers? Anybody? You ever try to rake leaves with a four-year-old and a couple of two-year-olds? All right? It's terrible, all right? I did, I did it last week. The whole time they're climbing in the bag, all right? They're jumping on the bags. They're pulling leaves out of the bags. They're knocking over the bag. And it's frustrating and it's trying. <laughs> but, but here's what happened. After about 30 minutes of this, they started to get it, all right? They were so excited about the leaves. They didn't understand the productivity of what we were trying to get done. But at some point, they started to get it. And it'd be like a little handful here, and George is using her rake, and they're starting to understand. Y'all, would it be faster for me to do it without them? 1,000% yes. It would be faster for me to do it without them. But, but look at this. They can only develop if I include them in my work. Here's something crazy. God has chosen to limit the effectiveness of his church by the faithfulness of his people. I'll say it again. God has chosen to limit the effectiveness of his church to the faithfulness of his people. The effectiveness of God's church, think about this, is limited to our faithfulness to build and to invest in what he's doing. Listen, it takes time. Here's what I want you to see. It takes time for us to grow and to learn how to work as he does, and to become effective. Everyone say effective. The goal is not just to work, all right? The goal is to become effective 
workers with Jesus. So what we're going to talk about today is generosity. It can be awkward, all right? Why? Because I believe money is like the number one most sensitive topic in our culture. Callie and I see it when we do marital counseling, we do premarital. It's like, you want to talk about the in-laws? Where do I start? All right? You want to talk about communication and love languages? Easy. You want to talk about sex? Yes, please. All right? It's a little awkward at first, but they're eager. But money? You want to talk about oxygen getting sucked out of the room? Why? Because money is the number one place where our hearts are tempted to say, mine. This is mine. Here are the other reasons we have to know. Many churches and pastors have abused teaching around money. They've abused their congregations, and they've been, become nothing more, in my opinion, than grifters. They're not investing in the kingdom. They invested in themselves. And I'm really sorry for that. It's frustrating, and honestly, it's embarrassing. To me, one of the worst things a pastor can do is talk about money constantly. It's one of the reasons why we simplified. Why do we do the giving liturgy? Because we don't want to do a sales pitch every weekend why you should give. We want to point and say, God's generous. God, form our hearts to be generous like you're generous. Yo, it's terrible. Can I get an amen if pastors talk about money all the time? <laughs> We're a little too enthusiastic there. But one of the worst things a pastor can do is to never talk about money. Why? Because Jesus talked about it so much. Tim Keller said this in his book, Jesus the King, which has a great section called The Trap, if you're interested in reading more about uh, some of this. But he says this. He says, it's not a coincidence that for every one time Jesus warns about building our lives on sex and romance, he warns us 10 times about money. Money has always been one of the most common saviors. It's like, if I can just get enough, then I'll be okay. But listen, there are many in here who have more than enough who will testify that having enough money, having enough security, and having a big enough house has not brought them what their soul most desperately needed. What generosity does, what giving does, is it dethrones the idol of money and it becomes a trusting act of worship. In our world, money is king, right? It's king, all right? You wanna become an influencer, why? Not because you want attention, because you want money, amen? I saw something the other day that like the most popular TikTok of all time this, this gal makes like $30 million a year now or something. It's just crazy. Yo, here's the truth. An improper understanding of generosity places a lid on the efficacy of the church and it places, the, it places a lid on the impact of the lives of those who are within the church. More on that in a bit. But here's my promise to you. I made it a few years ago. I'm gonna blast through this. We're gonna get into the text. I commit I will never pressure, manipulate, or beg you to give. I commit I'll never twist scripture or try to coerce you. What we're gonna do, like we do on everything when it comes to sex, when it, become, when it comes to ethics, when it comes to family, is we're gonna do our best to be faithful, to understand what God's word says, and to teach it. And we'll never ask you, yo, I promise you, I will never ask you to do something that I am not willing to do myself. Callie and I have tithed and given to our church for the entire 10 years of our marriage and the time before that, 11 years. Well, I was rounding. I knew. 
Come on. I knew. And listen, here's what I found. It's just like, we're going to talk about investment here in a second. It's just like investing. It's so much easier when you start young. Amen? Because tithing on the little bit when you're young and poor (laughs) is a lot easier. I'm telling you, I've talked to so many couples who are like, I'm going to wait to give until I'm rich, to which I want to say, no, you won't. (laughs) Because it's a lot harder to give away when you're making a lot. That's what we found. So here's what I'll ask of you. When we talk about giving and generosity, I just want you to lean in a little bit. I want you to get excited, and I want you to be open to the life-giving teachings of the Scripture, and don't make me feel awkward about it, okay? (laughs) Our role is to love what God loves, amen? And God loves generosity. So what does our text teach us about generosity? Three things I want to draw out. Now, I want to give you this. This is the longest portion of Scripture about generosity in the entire library of Scripture. So point number one, what is generosity really? Generosity is an investment. Write this down. Generosity is an investment into the kingdom. 2 Corinthians 9, 6, it says, Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously, everyone say generously, will get a generous crop. It's an investment into the kingdom. Now listen, the goal of generosity in giving is not giving so that you'll become wealthy. The goal is not wealth. The goal is impact. Listen, I've seen people, I saw this on YouTube last week. I saw this guy teaching that when you give, you're placing God in your debt, which just seems crazy to me. His basic teaching was like, if you give, you put God in your debt and God always pays his bills. So if you give, God will pay you back. This feels like manipulation. This, trying, this feels like trying to push God around. This feels like you're in control, not God's control. God's in control, it feels like a bribe. It doesn't feel like worship. And and the goal of giving, I'm going to get through this at the end, the goal of giving is worship. If you give to get back, that is dangerous territory. But doesn't it say that if you sow generously, you'll reap generously? What will you reap generously? Impact in the kingdom of God. Yo, do I believe blessing comes into your life when you give? I do. But I believe that it's because of the way that God's wired the world. I don't give so that God will have to give back to me financially. I give because I believe in God. I give because I believe in the church. So listen, I wasn't always employed full-time in a church, and I may not always be it, but I can promise you this. What I have learned is that if I will invest, if I will trust God with my generosity, I'll get to see something so much bigger than me get done. And what I get to see is the growth of God's church and the spreading of God's kingdom. I give not to get. I give because I get it. I get what God's doing. And I want to worship him through investing in the kingdom. Listen, don't be afraid to give. Don't be afraid to stretch yourself. Because here's what I do believe that if you'll follow the Holy Spirit and if you'll let God lead you in your finances, as you give, God through his providential will will take care of everything that you need. But we have to remember we're not building our kingdom. We're building his. Amen? Generosity is an investment first into the building and the establishment of God's church. Christ died to build the kingdom and to establish and build the church. So first... We invest into the church. Second, 
through communal engagement that flows out of a healthy church full of healed people. Amen? Listen, we need teaching. I hope, I hope you like the teaching. If you don't, I'm sorry. We need pastors, right? You need people to walk with you when you go through the trials of life. You need people to talk to when you're struggling. You need wisdom. We need structure for spiritual support and growth as a community. But listen, out of that strength, we begin to engage in the community of large, at large and make an impact and change. Listen, I talked a while back about collective vision. We talked about collective moral vision. But I believe that we've got to get a vision for what our giving can do. Get a vision for what our generosity can do. Y'all, this is one of the best descriptions of what the church can be that I've ever heard. Lean in on this. Lean in. The church is hurting people made whole through Jesus and joining in God's healing of the world. It's hurting people made whole in Jesus who are joining in God's healing in the world. When we sow generously, we are joining God in healing the world. I just want that, to, let that hit you a little bit harder. When we sow generously, we are joining God in healing the world. That is our goal. Now listen, Currently, we as a church, what I want you to know is that we as a church, you as a church, our, our church budget, we have always given and tithed out of our uh, budget. We give over 10% away to other organizations who are engaging with the brokenness in our community. One of those is M18 Recovery. A percentage of your giving every month goes to M18. The other one is Every Arkansan and the Dream Center and CityServe. We give to international church planning, but y'all listen, I would love to do more. If I can be honest, um, I, I debated, I went back and forth whether or not to talk to you guys about this, but I'm going to talk to you about it. We'll see if second service gets it. We have never fully covered our bills as a church since we've been planted. Now listen, we're an inner city church. Um, we're a missional church. And the reality is we function, we have everything we have because of the generosity of other churches. There's not like a wealthy donor who's like, hey, I'm going to underwrite you. It's other churches around the state who are tithing and giving. Here's my goal. And we may not get there tomorrow. But my goal is to get to a place where we're not only covering our bills, we're exceeding. Because when we do that, remember, guys, we're pooling resources for effectiveness in the kingdom. Amen. As we do that, as we take care of the basic things we got to take care of, our lease and keeping the lights on and kids' ministry and supplies and all that kind of stuff, I'm telling you, then things can get really dangerous in what we can do in the community. Um, so I just want to encourage you. Listen, I'm not trying to push you. I'm not trying to twist your arm. I'm just asking you to ask yourself the question, can I invest deeper into what God is doing? Amen. Jonathan Edwards said this in uh, his sermon, The Duty of Charity to the Poor Explained and Enforced. He said this, he said, when men give to the needy, they do it as it were sowing a seed for a crop. When men sow their seed, they seem to throw it away. Yet they do not look upon it as thrown away because though they expect not the same again, they expect much more as the fruit of it. Amen? That's our goal, y'all, as we give. We're investing and we're asking God to multiply it, increase it, and bring fruit. So here, let's get practical before we go to point two. If you're in your life and you're in a place where you have more than enough, is there someone somewhere where you can tell yourself no 
so that you can begin to say yes in other places and invest in God's kingdom. So what Callie and I do is we have our 10% tithe that we give, and then we have a generosity budget every month that we try to look for places to give away. So we have a certain amount of money that we try to give away, and it's just the greatest when somebody comes with one of those needs and we get to give to it. Amen? So point number one, generosity is investment. Point number two, generosity is a joyful response. Everybody say joyful. Say it joyfully, though. Everyone say joyful. Okay. Joyful. 2 Corinthians 9, 7 through 9, it says you must each decide in your own heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll be able to have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they who share freely and give generously to, their po- to the poor, their good deeds will be remembered forever. Have you ever thought about why we give gifts at Christmas? Have you ever thought about that? Like, why, why do we do that? And even, like, within the Christian calendar, we don't really do, like, Easter presents, you know? You might get an Easter basket, depending on your family or where you come from. It's not like we celebrate Pentecost, and it's like, Pentecost Day, here's a present. You know, we don't do that. It's just Christmas. Think about it. That's the only time that we do it. Now, listen, I, I don't want to do, like, a sociological explanation of why we do that. I'm sure if we dig deep enough, we could figure it out. But I want to give a biblical explanation. Tim Keller says this, in the power of generosity, he says the theological heart of Christmas is that Jesus Christ is the only being who wasn't just born, but he was given. We give out of response as to what Jesus has given us. Second Corinthians 8, 8 and 9, it says, I'm not commanding you to do this, but I'm testing how genuine your love is. Isn't it interesting? He's equating generosity and giving with love. By comparing it with the eagerness of other churches, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was, what does it say? Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you could be made rich. Though Christ was rich, this is what it's saying, in his preeminent existence as God with God, he became poor for us. Though he had all the majesty of God, he chose to be born in a manger. Though he was divine, he chose to put on human fragility and flesh. Though he was king, he bore the crown of a sinner, a crown of thorns, and he died on a cross. Listen, we don't get to give. That's twisted doctrine. We give because we've been given to. We give because we love Jesus. We give because we've been loved by Jesus. We give because we love God and love others, and it's an overflow of joy. Proverbs eleven twenty four through 25, it says, One person gives freely, it gains more. Another withholds unduly and comes to poverty. A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will themselves be refreshed. Um, I was watching a documentary the other night on the 2008 financial crisis because I'm obsessed with, I don't know why. It's like, I've talked about it a couple times, I'm obsessed, can't get off of it. And they were talking about how making money stimulates the same. They put somebody in an MRI machine and let them play a game where they got to make more money. And they said that the part of the brain that blood rushes to, which is stimulating that part of the brain, is the same part of the brain that cocaine stimulates. 
and we wonder why we love money. It's addictive, right? I heard a pastor say, without vision for and a practice of generosity, the things you own will end up owning you. And so God's calling us to this act of cheerful giving, but here's what I believe. Giving actually makes us cheerful. Isn't that an interesting thing? There's science to back it up. Uh, there was a, um, an article in the Wall Street Journal where they talked about how we're hardwired for generosity. And basically, it was going against Darwin's theory of survival of the fittest, right? Research has shown, we just talked about this, that when we give, the reward centers of our brains light up. It shouldn't, but it does. Why? God made us to be like him. And I'm telling you, as you give, as you give cheerfully, not because you have to, but because God loves you and what God has done for you, it will actually expand your life. It will expand your capacity for love. It will expand your joy as you get to see God's work in the world. Proverbs 11, 24 through 25, this is the message paraphrase of the same verse from earlier. The world of the generous gets larger and larger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. So number one, generosity is an investment in God's kingdom. Number two, generosity is a joyful response. And number three, we're gonna close here. Generosity is simply trusting God with the resources that he has provided. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 and 11. For God is the one who provided the seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. And when we take your gifts to those who need them, they will thank God. Pastor Rick gives such a good illustration on this. I'm gonna share it with you. He says, he says, you know, if you were, if I was going out of the country for 30 days, that's how Pastor Rick talks. And uh, he's like, I'm going out of the country for 30 days. And I say, hey, Bronson, you can borrow my truck, all right? So we'll turn this around. Let's say Bronson's going out for 30 days. And I say, you can borrow my truck, all right? So you're borrowing my truck. At the end of 30 days, I'm like, hey, I need you to pick me up at the airport. And we're sitting in my truck and you sit there and you look at me and you say, Bronson, you're a good guy. You're a good guy really like some things about you. You know what? I'm going to let you borrow this truck from time to time. I'm like, what are you talking about? It's my truck. Give me the keys, you idiot. You know, <laughs> it's my truck. Here's the reality. If we believe that God has given us the finances and the resources we have, there's biblical precedent to worship God through returning a portion of that to him. Now listen, there's so many different theological positions on giving. Um, I'm gonna give you ours, I'm gonna give you mine. So the first uh, instance of giving in the Bible is Abraham gave a tithe to the high priest of, called Melchizedek. He was the high priest of Salem, the king of Salem, which means the king of peace. He gives him a tithe, he gives him 10% of what he has. Then later, uh, his grandson Jacob vows to give God a tenth or a tithe of all God gives them. Now listen, if you have a dispensational view of the Bible, which means that God interacts with different people at different times, he does away with certain things, uh, that's not the, the position that I hold. I believe that God fulfills things and continues things, and it's, it's a complete story. But if you have that view, you could say, hey, in the New Testament, the tithe is done away with, and we just need to give what we want. That's fine. 
But if you study the New Testament church in the way that they gave, they brought all their resources together. They weren't bringing a portion. Now, here's what I believe. I'm not asking you to do that, okay? Here's what I believe. Jesus said, hey, you should give the tithe. There was an assumption within the New Testament church that tithing was a part of what they'd been a part of, and so they were going to continue to. But here's what I want you to see. All throughout the Bible, tithing is not a tax. It's worship. God's not saying, you owe me this because I'm God. What we see throughout the Bible is people bring the tithe as an act of worship. So here's the question you have to ask yourself as we close. Do you believe that God has blessed you with what you have? If you believe that, give off of it. Give a percentage. Here's my belief, 100%. I believe that God has given to me and what God asked me to bring is 10%. Beyond that, I consider that generosity. I believe if I go the rest of my life and I live on that 90%, I don't think I'm going to get to the end and God's going to be like, you, I wanted more, I just didn't tell you, (laughs) you know? (laughs) But I believe that as I give more, it's going to expand my life. It's going to expand my capacity for joy. And God is going to do so many amazing things through it. So if you believe that God has blessed you with, with what you have, give off of it. And this is not, this is just... Bible teaching. If you don't believe that, then don't give off of it. Because otherwise, it's not worship. Otherwise, you're just giving because somebody told you to. And so I think the question you have to ask, the deep question of the heart, is did God provide me with what I have? I'm not giving you permission. I'm trying to give you a principle so that you can dig deep and see what God might be speaking to you. Giving is worship. So here's the question. If you believe that God has blessed you, are you bringing him a tithe as an act of worship? We're going to go into a time of response. The keys are going to come up. We can make it spiritual here in a second. At some point. I just in faith, I know they're coming. Um, but here's a question. I've actually, I've had this in my heart for about nine months, for as long as we've been doing this liturgy. I've been, kind of had this time of the year circled. And what I really want to invite you to do as we head towards from now to the end of the year as a community, as we journey together, what does it look like for you to begin to live the liturgy? If you believe, I'm going to assume, if you believe that God's blessed you with what you have, what does it look like for you to start to live the liturgy? It could mean you start to give something. Um, You start to bring something to the church. It could mean that you take a step forward and, and you go from just giving something to bring a true true 10% tithe. Y'all have been so anxious about this. There he is. They've been been nervous and looking at the, okay. Uh, Starting to give something, bring a true 10% tithe, or starting to give above and over the tithe. Now listen, you could give that to our church community, or you could find organizations, you could do all kinds of things with it, but the simple thing I want you to ask is do you believe God's blessed you with what he's given you? And if you believe that, can you bring it to him in an act of trust and an act of worship? Amen? Let's take a time of prayer. God, we thank you for this morning. God, we thank you for all the good things that you've done in our community. But above all, we thank you for Jesus. 
We thank you for what Jesus has done in our hearts, what he's done in our lives. And right now, we just pray simply, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit, speak to us. Guys, I just want you to take a moment right where you're at and just ask God to search your heart. Ask God to lead you. If you had that conviction from the Holy Spirit, not from me, from God, that God wants you to take a step, what could that step be? Could it be beginning to give? Just taking that first step of faith? Could it be beginning to bring a true tithe, 10% of your income? Or could it be, hey, I've got more than enough Ask the Holy Spirit, where are some areas you can tell yourself no this year so that you can sow and invest in God's kingdom with joy in your heart, trusting him for the provision. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Hey guys, thanks for listening in. I hope that this message blessed you and it helps you in your journey with Jesus. If it did, leave a comment, leave a review, things like that help us spread the message of Jesus. Uh, if you want to connect with us, the best way to do that is to follow us on Instagram at, at NLC Downtown Little Rock to follow along with the life of our church.